You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Philippians chapter 3, what we're actually going to do this weekend is we're going to go backwards from where we were last week. If you were here on Easter weekend, we were looking at a few verses in Philippians chapter 3. We went ahead for Easter for the obvious resurrection verses, and now we're going to come back a little bit and pick up on the part that we missed. And part of what we did miss uh, when we skipped over these verses was this. It was a beautiful uh, explanation or detailing of authentic worship um, versus counterfeit worship. This is what Paul discusses right now. Authentic versus counterfeit worship. Now, we all know the illustration or we all know the example that uh, bankers and specifically tellers are trained in great detail uh, to understand what the real authentic bill looks like by becoming never more familiar with the real thing. They are trained to understand what the real, let's say, $100 bill looks like. They're so familiar with this. They kind of live and breathe with the authentic bill that whenever they come across a counterfeit, uh, it is easily to be able to spot the fact that it is not real, it is fake, or it is counterfeit. And in many ways... This is what happens with us today in God's Word, and specifically in terms of the subject of worship. We're going to hold up, God's Word's going to hold up the, the, the real thing when it comes to authentic worship. And we want to be so familiar with what authentic worship looks like in Christ by the Spirit of God that it would be um, easier than ever for us to spot a counterfeit. To know a fake. Not that we delight in that, but it's so important with discernment, understanding what God's really in and what he's not in. And so this becomes a, a really amazing exercise here right now in God's word to say, do we personally have authentic worship in our lives? And I guess I got to say it just to make sure we, we understand, are we, are we counterfeit? Here's the reality, the room this size, I mean, there's a lot of people here right now, a room this size, not every person in this room is legit in Christ. Who, I don't know, I have no idea, I have no idea. But the Holy Spirit shows us or, or reveals to us, most importantly within ourselves, am I playing religion or am I truly alive in the Lord Jesus? Am I authentic or am I counterfeit? And for us around us as well to understand what makes up the authentic life of worship versus the counterfeit life of worship as well. You know, it's interesting that we live in a growing secular society. We know that. It's overwhelming at times, yet it's remarkable how many still hold, even within this massive growth of secularism all around us, how many still hold to a hope of heaven, meaning they believe in some kind of afterlife. There are so many people in our nation even now, despite all the stats, who are still playing some form of religion. Uh, without a genuine relationship to Jesus Christ. It's remarkable how many people, like even, you know, it's like the people say, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist. They receive the diagnosis of cancer, all of a sudden they start to pray. Who, to what, why? And it's amazing how many people are relying on some form of works, are relying on some form of the flesh, are relying on a system of self in order to accomplish something uh, beyond this life. 
Now, this was also the context of Paul writing to the Philippians. What you had in the verses we encounter right now, you had Jews or Judaizers. They were praying on Gentile converts. Gentiles, of course, non-Jews. Praying on Gentile converts and trying to get the non-Jewish converts to revert back to a system of law or salvation by works. Uh, Man-made. We do. We earn our salvation. The Jewish people are trying to revert back the genuine Christian believers, Gentile believers, to this. The problem with that is, we're going to see in our text, in one case, when it's real and authentic, you have an authentic, life-giving worship. On the other side, if it's counterfeit, it is a death-producing worship. So this becomes very serious. I mean, it's the difference between life in Christ and death in self. Uh, Going to heaven, separated from God forever in hell. That's what we're talking about when it comes to man-made, counterfeit worship, and the real thing, authentic worship in Jesus Christ. Again, an important passage. Philippians chapter 3, oh yeah, and this. We get to talk a lot about circumcision tonight as well. Excited? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. No, it's going to be good. It's going to be good, all right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord... Notice, um, not rejoice in your sports team, not rejoice in even, you know, your friends, not rejoice in money, not rejoice in your job, not rejoice, no, 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 there's only one who satisfies loved ones, rejoice in the Lord. He's going to end this section in chapter 4, verse 1 with the same thing. Um, Rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Notice, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, notice, and put no confidence uh, in the flesh. Let's start here today, this is very important. Point number one, um, the God-given beauty of authentic worship. We're going to see this, the God-given beauty of authentic worship. Worship, okay? So verse 3, this is primarily the verse we're in today. We're going to go backwards and forwards a little bit. Verse 3 begins with, For we are the circumcision, Paul says. He's speaking to the Philippian church. We are the circumcision. What does Paul mean, we are the circumcision? The New American Standard translates this. We are the true circumcision. The New Living says, um, For we are the ones who are truly circumcised. Now remember, when you're reading scripture, context, context, context. A great phrase to remember, context is king. The greatest way to interpret scripture is with scripture itself. Context is king. Context, context, context. For our context, we go again back to verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, Three times Paul says, look out for, or you can say, beware of church. Beware of these people. Um, His language is very strong here. Look out for the dogs. And by the way, dogs in the day when this was written, the most uh, unclean and in some cases despised animal. No offense, dog lovers, I'm very sorry, okay? But in the day, this is kind of how it was. And furthermore, this is interesting, Paul knows what he's doing here, because the greatest insult a Jew had for a Gentile was to call them a dog. And you remember even in the Gospels, and that lady comes up, I think a Syrophoenician woman she was called, and she comes up and she's asking Jesus for a blessing. 
And Jesus mentions the term dogs, and she's like, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. It's an amazing passage. But right here, Paul is using that term to refer to the Jews, like one of the you know, huge insults kind of throwing their way. Classifies them as evildoers, workers of evil. Why? False teaching. Notice, those who mutilate the flesh. Three different terms referring to one group of people. The Judaizers in this context who were proponents of false teaching. Now the phrase there, those who mutilate the flesh, that's severe. Even when we say that, you're like, wow, it kind of sounds raw. It is. Those who mutilate the flesh. Again, his words carrying great for like if, if you're if if you're reading this letter when the time you first got it, you'd be like, whoa, Paul's fired up. This is strong language right here. Like he's not fooling around, man. He's got he's got something to say here. And you'd almost might be a little bit caught off guard by how strong he's coming on here. You get the sense that Paul has a righteous indignation in his heart. And so we gotta ask, well, then what what exactly is the big deal here? The big deal is is that Paul's opponents are working themselves into the churches that he has labored with everything he had to plant, him and his his co-workers in the gospel. These, These opponents are carrying a false gospel. They are workers of evil. They are laboring in evil by leading genuine Christ followers astray. Now, the reason they are called mutilators of the flesh is because... The Judaizers in this context are insisting on physical circumcision being necessary for salvation. They are insisting that as circumcision was a sign of the covenant people of God, it must continue to be, and unless you are physically circumcised, then you cannot be saved. But what we know, or we must know, is circumcision in light of the gospel, holds no spiritual value. And that's why Paul then says, it ends up, if you believe circumcision physically uh, uh, equals uh, spiritual value or salvation, then you are simply someone who is mutilating the flesh. Paul's point here too, this is so kind of powerful and beautiful. Paul says, "When when you are in Christ... When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are the circumcision. You are the real spiritual circumcision. You have been made new. Your heart is attached to the heart of God. You don't need a physical act. If we're relying on physical acts to gain merit with God, in the case of circumcision, you are simply mutilating the flesh because it is an empty effort of gaining any kind of favor or any kind of progress with God. So the Judaizers here, they are enforcing a form of religion based on the works of man, which of course then is greatly opposed to the grace of God and really the gospel. So if you want to upset Paul, then start implementing a false gospel. You want to push Paul's buttons? Start teaching on a religious system that he himself was rescued from. You want to get Paul's blood boiling? Start leading vulnerable Christians astray through legalism and deception. Notice this though. Notice what Paul does. Paul warns strongly of the false teaching, but now what he does, loved ones, he teaches the truth. 
That's very important insight for us to see too. He warns of the false teaching, but now he knows the greatest weapon he can bring forward is to actually teach the truth of God's word. Never forget, the greatest weapon against false teaching, against evil loved ones is, in our day, is the word of God. The greatest thing Satan fears is the truth because it's the truth that sets people free, right? So our job isn't so much to become so paranoid of what is wrong around us. Our job at the end of the day is to keep being men and women who love the word of God, who live the truth, who proclaim the truth, who hold up the truth that the light might shine within the darkness. Because think about it. Truth destroys error. It's truth that exposes lies. The greatest thing we do is to teach what is true. It's the authentic bill that is the greatest weapon to expose the counterfeit bill. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said on this issue of the Bible and truth. He says this, defend the Bible? I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You open its cage and let it roar. I love that, right? So the greatest thing we do within our lives, God can defend himself, right? Obviously, there's apologetics for the word of God. But at the end of the day, God's word proves. I mean, just even last weekend, across this whole world, the gospel is proclaimed and lives are changed forever. Just let the Bible do what the Bible's supposed to do and the Holy Spirit joins in that. And again, God will make sure that the results are seen. Let it out of its cage, amen. So that's why we're so uh, uh, so convinced and so determined and resolved, verse by verse. That's why we go back to verses one to three. And don't skip over them because there's such a message here for us now. It's God's word that speaks. And this is Paul's passion. He's giving his life for the truth of the gospel. And that's why he says this, for we are the real circumcision, the true circumcision. Again, some of us, we're not totally sure what circumcision. I'm a little confused. I'm a feel a little awkward right now in some ways, but what does this mean exactly? It means this. Those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, they are the true children of Abraham, listen, by faith. No longer by a physical inheritance or because you are born into a certain ancestor line or ethnicity. No, no, The true children of God are of Abraham spiritually by faith. So forget physical circumcision. What we need now is a spiritual circumcision. Now this is a massive statement Paul's making here because he's saying this. Whether you are a circumcised Jew, all believers, get all believers, whether you're a believer who's a circumcised Jew or an uncircumcised uh, Gentile, All true believers are covenant children of God by faith. So it's not circumcision ultimately matters, or whether you're not circumcised ultimately matters. What matters is your heart of faith has been given to Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. You are alive. You are born again. You are his child now. You are a covenant child of God. Here's what Deuteronomy, I'm going to get one verse from the Old Testament on this, on spiritual circumcision, and one verse from the New Testament. Here's the first one, Deuteronomy 10, okay? And by the way, I, I just, these type of verses, I love them so much. Why? Here's why. Because this is all of life right here, okay? So to, to God's command to his people, circumcise therefore, I love the imagery here. The foreskin of your heart. God, the, the tenderness, the real sense, and no longer be stubborn. God wants your heart. 
He wants your heart. He's not looking for your work, like for your effort to earn anything. That comes after, only because you love him. He wants the heart. Now let's go to Romans chapter two. Here's what it says here. Again, hey man, the Bible's one book, man. It's one book. Many different authors over many different centuries in three different languages, but it's ultimately one book. It's awesome when it fits together and you see it this way. But a Jew, in verse 28 before this, it just says, man, a Jew is not one uh, outwardly, not a true Jew, a Jew, child of Abraham, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, notice, by the Spirit. See, not by man, uh, not by showing up to church, not by, by trying to do more good deeds, by the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. That's awesome. The heart that's transformed doesn't get the acknowledgement of praise of man. It's by the Spirit. So therefore, his commendation, his praise, is from God himself because God has made you alive when the heart has undergone spiritual circumcision as opposed to relying on the effort and works and the outward deeds of man. Now think about it. This is, this is Paul's entire testimony. I mean, this is, this is Philippians chapter 3. I mean, Paul's going to go on right after this in, in, in good context. He's going to say, I was formerly working for my salvation. I was doing everything I could to secure my place before the Lord with what I did and who I was. But then Christ intervened. And God's grace flooded his, his life. His heart was ripped open. He was then spiritually circumcised. Also, there's so many passages in Scripture. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is dining at a Pharisee's house. Jesus had the audacity to not wash before dinner. Kids, make sure you still wash your hands before dinner, okay? It's good, it's good, okay? But it won't earn you favor with God, all right? But Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner. The Pharisees saw this. They were shocked. Jesus knew this. Jesus says, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but you are full of greed and wickedness. You see, the Pharisees in the day of Jesus were obsessed being Judaizers in a form of worship legalistically, but it wasn't authentic. It was counterfeit. You could say there was great intentions. You can say there was massive effort. You can say there was such strict observance to what they thought that was right, but at the end of the day, it was counterfeit because it was not of Christ. It was of man. They were relying on a physical circumcision, not a spiritual one. They thought by what they did, they could get an audience with God to gain entrance to heaven. But the whole reason Jesus came was, we'll never be in the place where we're good enough to gain acceptance or entrance into heaven. It's called sin. We all have it, and it keeps us out of heaven. The spiritually circumcised, the spiritually minded, this spiritual faith within us. This is what Jesus requires from us to place in him that we might be saved. And then you see we have authentic, authentic worship as opposed to a worship of the flesh. Let me stop here for a second because a lot's been said right now. I just feel led just to take a moment and just be like, okay. So I wonder who here right now, that even as we've gone along so far, you're just, you're wondering, am I, have I been relying on a counterfeit system of religion? I'm not, I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation, but the Bible does ask us to examine it. 
And we shouldn't be afraid to do that because this is such a healthy exercise. Is there authentic, grace-induced, Spirit of God-born worship in our lives? I'm not saying you don't have hard days. Man, I got too many hard days, I like to admit. But at the end of the day, is my worship of the Lord, and we'll get there in just a second, or are there signs that maybe I might be playing a game that is actually, at the end of the day, not real? Just, I just, it's so, if there were people here right now that you have been religious for years but not in relationship, the greatest thing that could ever happen right now is for you to repent of sin and run to Jesus Christ and be set free that you may never have to question again and stop trying so hard because you've been granted forgiveness for sin, past, present, future, because of all that Jesus did and died for you and shed his blood on your behalf. I mean, talk about a new life change that you could be spiritually transformed by nothing you've done, by everything Jesus has done. That's what Paul's doing right now, man. He's like, watch out, watch out for those who are teaching something different though, right? There's a physical circumcision, but it meant nothing. They had a religion, but no relationship. Their worship was counterfeit. This is why Paul could say though, we in Christ, we are the true circumcision. In Christ, by Christ, for Christ. You might be asking, okay, so what does this look like Exactly, we touched on it a bit, but now we're going to go uh, point by point. In verse 3, Paul lays it out. Here's what authentic worship looks like. It's the rest of the message. Point 1A is this now. Authentic worship, ready? Number 1, spirit-empowered. Counterfeit worship is man-empowered. Authentic worship is spirit-empowered. In verse 3, Paul unpacks this. Look at verse 3 now. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. Now watch this, loved The single greatest difference between religion and relationship, between authentic and counterfeit worship is the Holy Spirit of God. The single greatest difference is the Holy Spirit of God. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He was saying, you must be spiritually reborn. Unless one is spiritually reborn, they cannot undergo spiritual circumcision. The only way to truly produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit is to be born of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you are left with what? You are left with cold, dry religion, empty ceremony, and legalism. Remember several years ago, I was touring Israel, specifically the old city in Jerusalem, and I was at the church of the Holy Sepulchre and the traditional site of what they believe is Calvary and where the tomb was placed and this, this, this church, this, this massive shrine of iconic activity. It, it, it's quite a sight. And people come there from all over the world and they are literally worshiping out of place because there's such veneration of objects and what they consider to be the, the certain places where Jesus uh, was in fact, I want to I want to put a picture of, uh, for you up here on the screen. This is this is just of this last Easter. This is just in a London newspaper, and and this is at the church of the Holy Sepulchre, and and this is the place where they believe in this rock here, where where Jesus was anointed before his his burial. And people will come on. There's lots of things like this when you go by, and you just you see. In this case, you see the the women there. There, if I can just touch the rock. If I can just get close, if I, can, if I can pray, if I can be at this place, if I can be on this spot, if I can touch it with my hands, if I can do something to get closer to God, then I'll be more blessed. 
But this is the exact opposite of everything we're reading in Scripture in the Gospel. It doesn't matter if you're close to Jerusalem in this place or you live in Timbuktu. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, man, you're as legitimate and, and alive in him as you are anyone else who's ever gone to Jerusalem or not, all right? You want to Jerusalem? Bless you. It's awesome, okay? If you don't, you're okay. One's not holier because they do or one's not holier because they don't, all right? That's the amazing thing about this. We don't worship a place. We don't worship a thing. We're not better off because we've touched this or we've been there or traveled. What is that? That's a man-made religion. That's a system of works. That doesn't gain us any favor with God. I mean, I think about it. In John chapter 4, right, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the whole point of that conversation at the end of the day, Jesus says, worship now in light of me being here, Jesus says, has nothing to do with a place. It has everything to do with a person, the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, the Father is seeking true worshipers. And that word true really stood out to me in my Bible because of real circumcision. The Father is seeking true worshipers, right? Before Christ came, worship was confined in some ways to a temple or a tabernacle. When Jesus Christ comes, he now says this. He says, listen, the time has come and gone where you go to a place to worship. The Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What God's saying right there, and Jesus is saying, the temple now is the person alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we always say around here, point to the temple right now. Point to the temple. Here's the temple. We're the temple. That's awesome. The temple of the Holy Spirit, if you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you don't come to this place to worship. We are the worship. We gather together as the church of God, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The building's not special. What's special are the people right now alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. See what Jesus is saying? That's awesome. True worshipers. I mean, right now, maybe this is setting some people free. Jesus makes you alive. You become the temple. The worship happens within you. It's not about what you do. You are so overwhelmed that you are loved with the grace of God. That gives you the desire and motivation and love then to give your life to him in response to the love he's given to you. Always, we can say it every time, right? You don't work for Christ to earn. You work for Christ out of love because of how he's loved you. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, right? By grace you are saved by, through, uh, by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. And it goes on to say, we are God's workmanship. See, grace leads to faith, leads to life, leads to the created workmanship. We now give our lives. I'm, I'm serving as a pastor in response to how Christ has loved me with his grace. He doesn't like me more because I'm doing this right now. He loves me for reasons I can't possibly comprehend. Before the foundation of the world, he chose me. Like that song he sang tonight. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. You are for me, not against me. If you're like me and you're just like, man, if I were you, I'd be against me. I'm a moron, you know? And all the sin in my life and all the times I mess up, and like, really, really, I have to remind myself of the gospel every day and be like, this is crazy love. And yet it's true. I mean, who's that for right now? You're just like, you're in a place like me maybe often. You're just like, I don't deserve to be loved. I know. You know, I mess up all the time. I know. I don't deserve God's grace. I know. I know. I say I know because I agree. 
And yet Jesus come up and says, yeah, but it's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how well you do today or tomorrow. It's not about whether or not you found yourself in the right place. Or what it's about is do you love me? And have you placed my faith in me? And if you've done that, man, then as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed his sin from us. That's awesome. That's the gospel. That's the incomprehensible, inexhaustible love of God that's available to every single person here right now. And to renew our minds for those of us who are beaten down by the enemy's accusations and temptations and how he's tried to pummel us, but right now we're set free in Jesus Christ because we are the true circumcision. We are the ones who are spiritually alive in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done. We're not worshiping out of our effort. Worshiping out of our love. The real circumcisions who worship by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the single greatest difference maker in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit of God, is He in you? Remember when we, when we did our series a little while ago on the Holy Spirit? Remember, I, was, I, 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 I never saw the Holy Spirit more in my Bible, just pop, 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 popped everywhere. And specifically reading through the book of Acts, and I remember just like, man, the Holy Spirit is the book of Acts. I mean, the church is nothing apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So it got to the point where I was reading, I went to my title page in my Bible, and I, I did this. I had to do this. It's the Acts of the Apostles, but I had to put in here, well, it is, but it's, 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 it's also him for sure, okay? So if you want to write in your Bible, you can do that too, all right? But this is the reality, man. There is no book of the acts of the church with the Holy Spirit every time. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to proclaim the word of God with boldness. Like every single time. They were filled with the Spirit and lives got changed. They were filled with the Spirit and the Spirit of God came upon them. And da, 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 da. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God. Authentic worship, loved ones, is Spirit-empowered. Stop and consider. Is my worship in my own strength? Is my worship dry? Is my worship boring? Is my worship lifeless? Hey, 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 listen, listen. Is my worship dead? Is it dead? Oh, to be strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We all have dry times. We all have dry times. Um, I consider myself right now to be in a dry time. Repent of sin. Expect to receive from the Lord. Don't give up. And anticipate revival of the heart. You want to pray for your pastor right now? Pray for that for me. Pray in the midst of all the different things that happen. True repentance, to receive from the Lord, and to be revived of heart. Pray that for my family. I'll pray for you. Pray for you. Pray that within my home. Pray that within this church. Pray, pray that the authenticity of worship would be never be more seen through the Holy Spirit of God who doesn't fill us and renew us again based on what we do because of how much we're loved in Christ. Authentic worship is spirit-empowered. Point 1B, authentic worship is glory-driven. Look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus. Is my worship authentic? Here's how you know. It's in the word glory. Glory means in the original, what we boast in, what we take pride in, what gives us joy. Again, again, really though, the greatest expression is what do we boast in? We worship by the Spirit of God and boast in, we glory in Christ Jesus. Now consider when someone is truly saved in Christ, what happens? They are so overwhelmed by God's grace. Um, all they can say, thank you, Jesus. I can't believe I'm saved in Jesus. Um, I love you, Jesus. And we often refer to them as trophies of grace because that's what they are. They're, they're, they're an example of the grace of God that has caused them to be transformed by the gospel. And all their boast is, is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They stand in the baptism tank and they proclaim the love and the glory of Jesus. And they say things like, man, I used to live for myself, but now my boast is in the Lord. Because they understand that everything I've been given is in Christ. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I had no future before, but now my future is bright with heaven because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My glory is in Christ Jesus. My boast is in him. Loved ones, that's a massive sign of authentic worship. What do we boast in? What do we glory in? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What is that? That's, that's boasting in Christ. That's, that's authentic worship. I'm a wretch, I deserve death, but Jesus Christ has set me free. I mean, our very context and passage, right? Saul, remember Saul? Saul, turn Paul. Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the apostle. I mean, a total transformation, ready, of self-glory to Christ's glory. I mean, if you think about it, let's just look at our context. Look at chapter three, look at, look at, look at verse seven, okay? Watch him live for the glory of Christ. Uh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, okay? What's happening there? You wanna, you wanna boast in Christ? Less of the world, more of Christ. Verse eight, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus uh, my Lord. For the sake, his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You wanna boast in Christ? Well, that's treasure in Christ versus the trash of the world. This is how we see here. Look at verse nine now. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends again on faith, okay? You wanna boast in Christ? You move from fear all the time, afraid of everything, to faith. We boast in Christ by, by, by exercising our faith in him. Uh, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What is that? That's power, the power to live, the power through suffering. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. Do you want to boast in Christ? Live with perspective. Heaven's coming. The resurrection of the dead is mine in Christ. A look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here's one, possession. You want to boast in Christ? You're his possession. Uh, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, you could say purity there. 
One thing I do. You want to boast in Christ? Live with purity for Christ. And last one, I probably go on forever. Last one, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call. Two more words, prize and then press on. You want to boast in Christ? Want to glory in Christ? Paul is laying it out for us right here. Power and perspective and pressing on and purity and there's passion there. I should have gone with all peace, shouldn't I? Should have done that. Maybe for tomorrow morning I'll do that. But see what's happening here. Paul's bleeding. You cut Paul, he bleeds glory to Christ. He didn't before. Before it was all self. <laughs> Again, I gotta pause here for a second. If you're here right now, we can't, we just cut you open, it would be self. It would be religion. It would be works. But when we're spiritually reborn, then all of a sudden we, we are spiritually cut and then all of a sudden we, we bleed glory to Christ. Our lives are lived in, in him. By, by, notice the order of this. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. You can only glory in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. He fills us and Lord, would you fill us? God, would you fill us? Would you renew us? And that we might truly glory in you. Authentic worship, spirit-empowered, glory-driven. Thirdly, point one C, um, authentic worship is this, flesh-rejecting. Flesh-rejecting. Look at the end of verse three now. It says, and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, notice Paul's play on words here, right? For we are the real circumcision, and we put no confidence in the flesh. I mean, that's like a double meaning there, right? It's like, we're not going to put our trust in a physical circumcision to somehow get us where we need to be with God. So we put no confidence in the literal flesh there, physical circumcision, but we have no confidence in the flesh as the old man or any system of works within our own lives. Why? Why no confidence in the flesh? Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 6, whenever I read John 6 verse 63, I think of Pastor Carl because this was the youth theme verse for how many years? A long time? A long time. Still is? Awesome. Still is. Okay? Way to go, buddy. Okay? It says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You're like, that's in the Bible? It is. John 6, 63. You can look it up. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is of no help at all. Brilliant. Remember our context? Philippians chapter three, verses four to eight. Paul's like, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I did. The Hebrew of Hebrews, zeal and righteousness, blameless under the law. I did everything I needed to do. Except put my faith in Christ. And he says, all that now is nothing. Remember the gospel confronts Paul, right? And what happened? When Jesus Christ confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, his personal external righteousness in that moment is instantly turned to filthy rags, right? He thought he was wearing the best outfit, the best outfit the world could produce, the best outfit man could produce, the best outfit external human attempts at righteousness. He was on his way to kill Christians and he was robed in his own deeds, and he meets Christ and instantly his, his perception of his righteousness is turned to filthy pauper peasant rags. And every person who meets Jesus Christ at the end of this life, 
who is relying on themselves. They too, in the moment they meet Jesus, will find out that everything they thought was adding up is also filthy, despised rags of human nothing. And this is why Paul says, I count all things as loss. Because all of a sudden I saw the righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ. He wanted a whole new wardrobe. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are all as, un, as an unclean thing. And all, this is from the King James Version, so I want to pull this out. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Not one person on their own will stand before and say, Hey, look how good I look. Every person will stand and be exposed for what it truly is. Our righteousness, again, adds up to nothing. But notice what Zechariah then says. Let's put that verse up and let's compare that here. Zechariah 3 says this. Okay, this is for someone right now, right? This is a prophecy of the gospel, what Jesus Christ would accomplish before Jesus Christ was even on earth. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he, to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity. That means sin. I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments, with robes of righteousness. That's the gospel. It's the great exchange. Our unrighteousness goes on Christ. His glorious righteousness comes on us. We now stand before God as pure and innocent, as though we've never sinned, as though we've always obeyed because of what Jesus Christ has done. So this is why Paul says, for we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh because the flesh can't do anything. Who is here right now? And if truth be told, you are in filthy rags. And you tried to dress up, you tried to put it up, you tried to button this and button that and put yourself prim and proper at the end of the day and tried everything you could do to make it. But at the end of the day, it hasn't worked. And maybe for the first time ever, you've realized this. Listen, salvation is offered to you today. Salvation is offered to you to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace, again through faith. And then you could sing with us in just a few moments the last chorus of this beautiful song, Cornerstone, of course, from the original hymn. This is every believer. All those truly spiritually circumcised by grace through faith. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Here we go, here we go. Dressed in his, in his righteousness alone, standing, faultless, faultless, will stand before the throne. I, I love when the songs we sing just pop with truth. And that's what we're doing right now. Who here right now? In fact, I want to two, two specific invitations right now. Who here wants to exchange their filthy ranks for robes of righteousness found only in Jesus Christ? That today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day you repent of sin. Today is the day you run to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Today is the day you say, Jesus Christ, I need you to set me free. I want to be alive in you. I'm wondering also too, you know, next weekend we get to celebrate baptism. Baptism is the celebration and the symbol that this has taken place within your life. That you are now wearing robes. Baptism doesn't earn you robes of righteousness. Baptism is a symbol. 
that you are wearing the robes of Jesus Christ upon you because he loved you and forgave you. I want to challenge some of you in here right now that you're here right now and you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized. I want to challenge you specifically that you would consider being baptized next weekend. That you would take the step of obedience where you are right now and you would choose to walk in faith because you know that Jesus Christ has set you free and the least you can do is to stand up before his church and declare the praise and glory to him because of how much he's loved you. Then you want to stand up and say, yes, this is true. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. I've been set free. And Jesus Christ loves me and I, and I love him. Who's that for right now? Who's that for right now? No more delay. No more putting off. Amen. You want to get baptized next weekend? Bless your heart. That's awesome. Let's give the lady a prayer. Amen. You talk to us right after. Amen. Amen. Bless your heart. You come up and talk to me right after the service, okay? We'll get you set up. I love that. And whether you have the courage to stand up like she did, that's awesome. But you wanted this week to go and consider that this is for you right now, that Jesus Christ will work within our lives. Listen, loved ones, now we get to sing. Now we get to respond. Now we get to praise him for what we did. Listen, those truly, spiritually circumcised by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray right now, Lord, I pray right now that you are um, saving people for the first time. I pray right now you are giving faith to believers to be revived in heart, to be renewed in mind, to be restored in soul. How can we do this without you? I pray the authenticity of our worship will never be greater. Not by external acts, but by the inward working of the Spirit of God to boast in glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we sing the perfect response song to this now, to all the truth we've heard. May our hearts ignite and be alive as we do so. We pray in Jesus' name.